intended me. Um, the inspiration comes from my book authored by Kyle Edelman. Uh, some of you guys have heard of him, but not a fan. Um, the idea of this is that when we come to the end of ourselves is where we find true life, where true life begins. The end of ourselves is where true life begins. And you will see this, and I've talked about this over and over, you see this in Jesus' teaching when He came, He ushered in the kingdom of God, He ushered in this new kingdom, um, and coming and saying it's going to be counterculture, counterintuitive, it's not about the world, it's not about even the things of this earth. Yes, there is a purpose to being on earth. If there weren't, we wouldn't be here. People have done it differently. So we are on this earth for a period of time, but compared to eternity, it is very, very short. Even if you live to a ripe old age of getting in your 90s and close to 100, that is still very, very short. It's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And so when Jesus came, even how he came was somewhat counterintuitive to the way we would think in, in earthly ways. The King of Kings born in a stable, how he was born, how he lived life. And then when he was, you know, then, then he was kind of in hiddenness, he was the Savior of the world. We have a glimpse of, you know, when he's 12, he's back at the temple teaching, and we have really nothing, and then the Gospels tell us about him when he's 30. That doesn't mean the rest of his life was wasted. If there was just something about how God did things, that he was even in hiddenness, came, did public ministry for three years, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised to life, and went to be with the Father, and was preparing a place for us. But we needed here in those three years. The way he did things, how he took disciples, how he taught was was counterintuitive and it was countercultural and he's teaching us something and we are looking at this idea of of to find true life, we come to the end of our own lives. Right? And it's these paradoxes that Jesus taught, paradoxes of the kingdom. I I dealt with one of these couple weeks ago that to be strong you must be weak, right? And Jesus himself said in, um, in Luke 9, the key verse, you know, the next slide, the key verse on this is from Luke 9. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Okay, that's counterculture, right? In this culture, you don't deny yourself. It is about, it's about you. You're the center of your own universe. We're me-oriented. It's about me. And, and, and Jesus said, no, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to follow me. You're going to understand Christianity and the kingdom of God. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. And the people of the day, they would have understood what, that, that he was, this is almost crazy language what he's saying here. It's like you, the cross was this instrument of Roman torture. And Jesus says, if you want to really find true life, if you want to be my follower, you deny yourself and you take up your cross. And then you follow me. And that's very important. He says, I'm leaving your following. That's counterculture. Culture says it's about you. You lead. You take control. You take charge. We're champion to do that. And I'm not saying that there are areas in life where we are assertive or take initiative. I'm not saying that. I'm talking spiritually here. That Jesus is saying to find your life because the living wants to save your life will lose it. That sounds absurd. It's been paradoxes. The paradox is an absurd statement. But when you dig deeper, you're finding that Jesus is very profound. To, say, to find the life, or whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
In other words, he's saying, I'm calling you to a place where he says, you're not on your own, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you die to yourself. You die to yourself and you say, I surrender, I'm all in to living my life with Jesus Christ. And that is what it means to be a Christian. We've, again, in culture, people, there are a lot of people that would say they are a Christian, but is, are you following what Jesus said to us and to his disciples at the time? What does it mean to be a Christian, a follower? And so he ushered in this different way of thinking. And to follow him and to be a Christian is going to be continually counterintuitive and counterculture. That'll be the battle that we fight until we leave this life and we are with him forever in eternity. And we will have to constantly lay those things on the cross and, and die to ourselves and say, Lord, help me to follow you. Help me to see this the way you see it. Help me to have eyes. That's why he said, you'll give us uh, your eyes to see. And, and, and Jim talked a little bit about uh, this morning, prayed it out, is, is that we will have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to, be, ears to be able to hear and see the things God is doing and how to follow him. And so to gain true life, you lose your life. To be whole, you must be broken. Again, to be strong, you must be weak. Those are things I've dealt with in the last few weeks. Today, we're going to jump back into the Beatitudes that Jesus began. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount, the famous sermon, this is the longest discourse that Jesus Matthew 5 7. He does this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It begins where he gathers his disciples around him and he begins to teach them about the kingdom. And a lot of the parables that we, you know, we did a series of parables, a lot of parables were about his kingdom. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of God and why I came and what I'm ushering in by my coming. As he teaches, there's a crowd that draws around and he begins to preach this, what we know of the Sermon on the Mount. But he begins by these beatitudes. Blessed are you, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And again, that sounds like a, it's absurd, it's a paradox. Nobody would say, well, the poor in spirit, that you somehow, you inherit the kingdom of God. But what Jesus is saying there, and as we unpack that, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their need of you. You understand that in myself, in and of myself, I'm morally and spiritually bankrupt in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes on further, and the second one is very tied with the first one. But these beatitudes, and you hear the word blessed, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you that mourn. The literal definition is happy. But as we look at what Jesus is saying, he's not saying happy based on your temporary circumstances, not temporal happiness but a true, deep, contented peace and joy. That's what we're all working toward, right? And he said, you'll truly know happiness when you understand what I'm saying. And so today is that the sermon, the paradox is, to be happy, you must mourn. And again, we you know, kind of do the head shake and say, well, well, what did he just say? What did Jesus, what is he trying to teach? And so blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who mourn. The Message Bible says this, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Isn't that good? That He is the point. Jesus is the point. 
If I have nothing else but Christ, that is enough. He also introduced a new song this morning about a Savior. I hope, I hope you were locking into the lyrics. It's the rich lyrics. And in there, there's that one stanza that says, Should this life I, hold no- Should this life I live hold nothing but the cross of Jesus took my shame? Then with arms stretched wide of my head, held high, my every breath will sing again. If Jesus is all I have, He is enough. And that's why in this world, when we look for just happiness in the things of this world, we will always be left empty of something. Now, we can have temporary happiness, and we can have... And again, it's not that God doesn't give us good things. I mean, we're told in change that He's a giver of good gifts, even in this life. But it's not all about those things temporarily. Those are common graces that we have. But you know, there are large portions of Christians across the earth that are being persecuted, that are being, I mean, treated horribly. Some of them, uh, you know, are being yanked in their homes and being tortured, and some of them being killed. And they understand that if Jesus, if, this, if you are all I have, then that is enough. And that's, I mean, that's a revelation. That's how they make it. That's how they survive. Because, you know, you can think in one sense, Jesus, where are you at? And I'm sure they probably have those moments like David did. But Jesus, if, 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 if all I have is you, that's enough. And I'm not saying I'm, all, I'm completely there. I want to be there to grow with the Lord. I want to get there. Happy are those who mourn. It doesn't seem logical. So we're going to unpack what Jesus was trying to convey. Because from an observational earthly mindset, mourning is not being blessed. We would never put those two together, would we? I mean, in an earthly observation, we would never marry the two thoughts, mourning and happiness, being blessed and mourning. Because what do we think? Mourning is suffering, right? Mourning is loss, it's pain, it's regret, it's tears. The word that Jesus used, blessed are those who mourn, the idea there is it's tied to being at a funeral. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can, we're, we're, we celebrate with people that have died in this life, they've died in Christ, and they belong to Jesus. There is that blessing, right? But isn't it hard? I mean, it's lost. And a lot of times, you know, we can go into the funeral with, the, with it in our head, like here, saying, I'm glad with the Lord. I'm glad they're with Jesus. And that is a blessing. But we usually wouldn't say, we wouldn't tie mourning and blessing there. It's, it's difficult. It's painful. It's hurt. But like as always with the case of Jesus, when he would give these paradoxes, he knew exactly what he was saying. The most brilliant man that ever lived. So how can we know contented joy and peace with mourning? How do they coexist? Because Jesus isn't saying to pretend that loss, hurt, pain, grief don't exist and put a happy smile on your face, you know, and you keep, I'm blessed. And you know, deep down, so you can see right like, now, you're not very blessed. You're, you're not very happy at all. I'm blessed. It's just to you. I'm blessed. How you doing? Blessed. Uh, you know, I have this angst because, you know, Jesus doesn't bless. You know, um, it's hard. 
And so Jesus is not trying to remove the idea. He understood grief on this. And he says he was acquainted with grief. He didn't go around to grass all the time. He was acquainted with all grief. And I thought that's why he became a man. He understood mourning and loss and abandonment when his disciples left him in his most vulnerable hour. He understood that how a best friend in Lazarus died. And although he knew that he would raise him from, from the dead, and, and he did that, there is this angst that you have in Jesus with this event that happened. Where it says that Jesus wept. And so he's not trying to they put a fake smile on your face, but how do you have true happiness in the reality of the morning? And we see it through Scripture where people experience it again. David wrote about it where he would go through periods of mourning. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, the night before he was betrayed, and says that he, he was sweating blood. And, and that is just uh, the, the capillaries and the, were bursting. He was sitting under such tremendous anguish about knowing what was ahead of to the point where he said, Father, if this cup could be taken from me, do it. Nevertheless, your will be done. He understood what he was about to walk through, and it was anger. Not only was the the pain of, uh, of crucifixion, because the Romans perfected crucifixion, that basically you were begging to die. And so there was a physical torment, and they would beat him, and they would put a crown of thorns, and he, his body would be unrecognizable in the sense of how awful it was physically. But he also knew that your sins and my sins and the sorrows and the stain, he was going to bear it all in his body. And that's how much he loved us. And the anguish of the night before where he's sweating blood, he understood pain and suffering and mourning. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Because this world is a temporary, broken, and fractured place. From the very beginning, the sin came in the world, it's fractured, it's broken. Romans 8, Paul tells us about there is a groaning. The earth groans, we groan. And the older you get, the groans get louder. I remember, remember when you could pull a muscle when you were young and it was like two days later you were out running again? Man, I missed those days. I, I, and I played college tennis and, you know, and I, just this time they just tweak something and you're like, a couple days later, that's not a big deal. Now you tweak something and it's like, a month later you're like, come on. And I'm taking it easy too. You know, just hobbling, you wake up and you're like, you know, walking around the house and, now I'm taking two little kids down the stairs. I thought your knees are going to get out at any second. You're like, hanging on for dear life, you know. Hurts. We're groaning. Paul said we groan with the expectation that something's coming. What is he talking about? Eternity. Because he says that we, we groan looking for the promise of the resurrection of, of, of our bodies. But when Jesus returns or we die, then, then we exchange that, you know, and, 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 and until then, there is a groaning because of brokenness. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You can have me in the midst of it. You know, and some people, some people have greater trouble than others. And again, we look at people that live overseas and they're persecuted Christians and they... They understand hurt and pain and suffering and loss every single day. 
and Jesus promised that it's a guarantee. And so how does Jesus, what Jesus has play out in our life, how does more than bring happiness? And we're going to look at a few things here. Number one, mourn your good for the happiness of God's best. And so in the idea of when Jesus, when he locked it to, or, or he, he made it like a funeral, have a funeral for your good in exchange for the happiness, the blessedness of God's best, right? That's what I mean by that. Have you ever had plans in your mind that you thought were going to happen? Or they were supposed to happen, and then it doesn't come to pass, or it didn't come to pass like you thought? Anybody been there? Been there a lot. The other part of the Bible, there's a part of the Bible that says we see in part. We don't get to see the whole. We see the glass darkly, and we don't get the full picture. But have you ever had that, where you thought there was plans, you even thought, man, God is seems to be doing something here, and then, and it just doesn't turn out the way you thought. And, and it can bring, it can bring discouragement. You were convinced that God was leading you only to be met with really hard circumstances and what felt like failure, right? Or there was a thought you, there was a, what you thought was an open door only to go through and there was a brick wall on the other side? Have you ever done that? Yes, thank you, Lord. No. Oh, what was that? God, I thought you were leading in here and then, and, 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 and in his still small voice that I was. This was a part of my plan. Because again, the, the, the idea of the gospel, the idea of the kingdom of God is it's a constant paradox. And I've said this before, but didn't the cross seem like the greatest defeat? I mean, that's what his disciples, they give up hope. They hear him talking about, I'm going to die. And they just can't wrap their minds around this. And so the cross seemed like the greatest loss ever. It seemed like a horrible defeat. Yet it was the step forward to the greatest victory that Christ would defeat death and he would give us eternal life. That's a paradox within itself. God said, Jesus says, I'm going to win by losing. What? What? And that's what happened. It's to my great loss. The same thing for us is, is Jesus does want death for us. But sometimes it's the putting a funeral on the way you think it's going to happen, the plans that you have for His very best. I've shared this before. But how God led our lives is that, it, it, I mean, it, it, you know, and you can tell people they think that you seem very unstable. And so I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I was probably pretty unstable. I'll confess that. I don't mind. Um, in my weakness, he is strong, right? <laughs> but, you know, when I was, we were young married and had two kids or, or older kids, and, and uh, it was, we were in these tough times, and I had a job, you know, and I've shared some of this before, but for you new people, it's a new audience, so I get that, and for you forgetful people, it's all new information anyway, so that's why I tell the same stories over and over. I think, like, I think you told this story, and I probably don't remember it, so it's good stuff. And so I had this promise I thought was a great job offer, and, and, and you know, and I had a friend say, go do the application of hire. I put in I put a good word for you, and I thought, this is it, you know, I've been struggling trying to find a job, and then nothing. And then finally I called it and said, what happened? Oh, yeah, they hired somebody else. Thank you. 
sense to that. And you just felt like God was just doing this stuff. And then you've ever been there? Maybe it's just me. And I'm just going to count to myself. You got to be my counsel this morning. Um, I can get a couch and lay down if it makes you guys feel any better. But. And so all these doors were closing, and then God opens up for me to go in the Air Force. And I'm like, you know, I, my dad was in the Air Force, and all, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm patriotic and all, but I, I never really thought about doing that. And supernatural, all these doors opened to get in the Air Force. And you guys have heard the Air Force story. God, you know, used me in great ways and showed me that. And then, you know, then, then we're, we're trying to figure out life, and then I meet this guy named Tom Flaherty, and I want a, a, a meeting, and I told Terry the story the other day, and all of a sudden we moved from Florida to Minnesota, and I'll tell you what, that'll make you question everything. I told a guy like that one time, I said, I moved to Florida to Minnesota to do the to do ministry. He said, like, this is the saddest story I've ever heard. 85 degrees, March 7th, 1987, for you winter people, you remember that. It's 85 degrees, shorts. So we went to the beach that morning just to walk around. I remember this, you know. Um, two days later, there's snow everywhere. After the horse was gone, we thought, you know, Jesus is returning and everything. So, I mean, it was crazy. And then we were here for almost six years, and God opened up the store to go help out with this church plant in Virginia. We just saw God in the divine appointment. Boom, boom, we went out there, and things started falling apart. And you're like, God, was that you? Was that, I don't know. I'm, I'm questioning everything. And then we were there for a year, and kind of things that were not working out. We moved to Tennessee. I worked at the Home for Children. I was a youth pastor there. I was there for a year and three months, and things began to fall apart. We moved back to Virginia. It was a church plant that we were at. They blocked with another church plant that hired me. And then about six, seven months later, things started falling apart again. God was deep. And I'm like, I am just confused. I remember sitting in my, I'll tell you what, I prayed more than I ever prayed if there's any benefit that comes out of that. And I remember somebody saying, what, what is God saying? And I'm like, you know, I'm saved and that's about all I know. I think I'm going to heaven. I'm not even 100% sure about that anymore. But I was just so confused. It was such a hard time. And it seemed like from an outside perspective, like, what are you guys doing? And I would have said, I have no idea. You know it's bad when you're annoying yourself. Have you ever been there? Like, man, I'm getting on my own nerves. I didn't, it was, just, it was, it was a lot of morning blessing and a lot of doubt, a lot of questions. But God was working there. He was stripping away things in us that needed to be stripped away. He was bringing to it. But, but it, it seemed on the outward that a lot of things were going and I, and I just remember, Lord, I want to I mourn. I want to mourn. I, I want your best for my life. And, God, and I saw through it all that God opened up all those doors. It was all offered by Him. But a lot of times when we think this, and let me kind of get this out of your mindset, sometimes when we think we're following God, that we think everything is going to go good. And He's going to make us happy by earthly definition. And it's just not the case. Graham Cook, some of you guys know who Graham Cook is at. British minister, and he had one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. He said, Sometimes the Lord draws you into the secret place and beats the living daylights out of you. And sometimes that's really true. He woos you in, and then it's, Man, what is going on here? It's my British accent for the day. And that has played over and over in my mind a lot. But sometimes we have to have a fuel for our good so that God's best can happen. Don't 
doing what God might be doing in your life. Proverbs 20. Many of the plans and purpose part that is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's what that should be our desire. Lord, your purpose prevails here. I have my plans. Not wrong to have plans, but let the Lord's purpose prevail in your life. And then again, Jim read parts of Isaiah 55, but you know that the, the one part is his ways are higher than our ways. Stay humble before the Lord. Don't think that you have it all figured out. If you say I'm confident and I know exactly 100 percent sure, I'm a little leery of that. Because we see in part and we say, you know, here's what I'm 100 percent sure of. Jesus, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to give my heart to you. But sometimes things seem silly. And then Romans 8, and I'm just not up there, but all things work together for good for them who love God and call according to his purpose. And I heard this preacher one time, he said, one of the staff guys who's going to do a sermon based on all things working together for good. And he's going to call it, it's all good. And the pastor said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. He said, that's not what Paul said. He didn't say it's all good. He said, it's all going to be good. And so they got things to do, it's going to be good. Because it's not all good. It's hard. And Jesus said, sometimes it's trouble. But it's going to be good if you belong to Jesus. Morning, you're good for God's best will bring some happiness. Let Him lead you. Live life for Him. Number two, mourn your dreams for the happiness of God's dreams. Mourn your dreams for the happiness of God's dreams. Have a funeral for your dreams. And as I said before, the understanding is you get God Himself. This has bled all over the place, but we hear these things that the best days are ahead of you. Yes, in heaven, but it may not be on the earth. Can I go ahead and say that? Is that okay? Your best days are ahead of you. You're, you're blessed and highly favored. Yes, you are, but not in earthly terms. That's why when things are going well for you on the earth, James says, don't get so confident in, in riches or temporary happiness. Don't let that be your don't let that be your goal. Because it can all you can lose it all in a moment. And there are people that suffer through things and they're following Christ. And if you are locking temporary earthly happiness to eternal happiness, you're going to be devastated. And sometimes it doesn't just it doesn't work. Yes, you're blessed and highly favored technically in the Bible, but that may not play out like you thought it would. It may not be temporary happiness. Look at the disciples. They, their lives ended badly. Were they blessed and highly favored? You better believe it. But they all ended badly. Tortured, crucified, boiled in oil, filleted with knives. We would not say that that's blessed and highly favored, would we? From a temporary, but from an eternal, yes, they were. Again, Christians that are being arrested and persecuted. What's going on? Are they blessed and highly favored? Absolutely. Sometimes God will put dreams in our hearts, but what He's wanting us to do is to lay those dreams down at His feet and say, I'm going to have a funeral for my dreams so that I can fulfill your dreams. This is Joseph. Joseph had dreams from God when he was a young man. He was 17 years old and he had these dreams that he was going to be a leader and going to be great and going to be blessed and highly favored, but he didn't point out the details were not blessed and didn't seem blessed and highly favored. He was turned on by his brothers. He was, you know, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and on and on it goes until the Lord did raise him up. When, it was interesting when Pharaoh had a dream 
and Joseph is brought into interpreter's dream. When you are about the king's dreams, God will place you where you need to be. But we must be about his dreams for our lives and not be promoting just our dreams. It may not play out like we thought. Because ultimately it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how great we are. It's not about our dreams. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. That's why Jesus, the part of being here, he said, let me teach you guys something. He said, everything I do is to please my Father. Everything I do is to bring glory to my Father. And then we live life say, everything that happens, I want to bring glory and honor and I want to please you, Jesus. No matter what happens, I lay my dreams down so that your dreams can prevail. Have a funeral for your dreams. If you keep on hanging on to your dreams the way you think they will come to pass, it, it will be mourning, but not in a good way. But it will be a hopeless mourning. And there's a self-focused mourning. And then there's a godly mourning. And the godly mourning is what leads to true happiness. And this is what Joseph said at the end of all that journey, where it was very hard. You men are for evil, talking to his brothers, because they turned on him. But God turned it to good, what? For the saving of men. Guys, when we belong to Jesus, it is about advancing the gospel. It's about lives being transformed by the power of Christ in the gospel until He calls us home to bring glory and honor to Him. For God's purposes, it's not about us. Number three, mourn your loss for the happiness of God's comfort. This is probably the hardest one. Loss is the hardest issue that we deal with on the earth. Specifically, maybe loss of someone we love. It's a painful void that we can't just simply fill up again. And in loss, you see people will run to things to try to fill that emptiness, but it never works. They'll run to another person, maybe. They run to self-medication or addiction. Mourning and grief are normal and healthy ways to deal with loss. And so, how can there be God's happiness in these moments? And here's where we see Paul says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Folks, He is the source of all comfort. There's not a relationship that's going to comfort you like God. There's not a medication that's going to comfort you like God. There's not an addiction that's going to comfort you like God. He is the source of all comfort. And this is where Paul is saying, We get God Himself. Yes, the loss is painful. Don't diminish that. It is hurt. It hurts. There's grief. There's mourning. But on the other side of it, and I've heard people say this, when I lost that loved one, God was closer to me than He had ever been. And you can't understand it unless you walk through it. But God was there and His comfort, and I got Him. The source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles. So then what? What's the purpose so that we can comfort others? When they're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And what you're doing is giving them Him. You're giving them Him. God replaces our loss with Himself. Let me just say this. This is not instant happiness in our loss, but a day-by-day revelation. He's close to the brokenhearted. He heals your heart to help you to be able to, to move on. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And we can grow in happiness through our morning that we get Him. 
Number four, mourn your sin for the happiness of God's forgiveness. This is a it's an obvious one that's tied to that the, the poor in spirit, blessed are those who need him. Blessed are the it's just mourn your sin for the happiness of God's forgiveness. There are a lot of people that walk around under the weight of unconfessed sin or sin that remains in the dark. And, it's, and, and, and as long as it remains in the dark, it is a chain that will be on you all your days. Blessed are those who mourn their sin. What does that mean? It means to come clean. To be truly remorseful. It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's not condemnation. But it's true remorse. And then you fall into Jesus' arms for forgiveness and cleansing. Understand that His cross sets me free. The reading of the linear Bible this morning is that the sun sets you free. You are what? Free indeed. There is freedom in Christ. And it's coming clean and it's falling into his arms. We weren't intended to walk under the weight, guilt, and shame of our sin, but the enemy will keep you there. He will give you every reason why not to bring that to the light. And I shared this story last week when I confessed things to my wife some years ago and about deep, dark things that were hiding in my heart that I've been walking around with and, 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 and just you know, just yucky, yucky things. And I made every justification where she's going to hate me, you're going to lose the marriage, you're going to lose the family. And, and then there's always these things. And, and then I can do it. You know, I, 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 you know I, I, I can make it through this struggle. I can somehow maneuver around it. I, I'll get strong enough. And God, every, I mean, every time I hit that wall, God says, you need to come clean to me. You need to come clean to your wife. You need to bring it out and love and bring it to the light. It was very, very hard. I'm not going to say it. it was a morning night. And part of me, I never want to forget my wife's face. Not, not to live in shame, but I just I don't ever want to go there again. I confess. And the more I did, the more free I got. And the more free I got, and you're just getting all this dark, yucky stuff. Every thought. Everything I just laid on the table, and there was a freedom because it was no longer hiding in the dark. And we walked through that, and I can tell you, our marriage got stronger. I mean, yeah, there were some hard times. It was painful. There was some trust issues. Trust takes time. Forgiveness can be quick. But we weren't intended to walk around that with that. Um, look at what Peter says. Now return of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment. Doesn't that sound beautiful? God wants to give you refreshment from His presence. And what is Peter saying? Repent. And I know this word isn't very popular today, but there's a call in the Bible. Jesus started his ministry saying, Repent. He said, Turn away from your sin. Run from your sin and go toward me. But it's a beautiful thing. We've, we've, we've always thought about angry preachers on street corners and screaming at people, repent or go to hell and stuff like that. And think that's not healthy. But Jesus, the mindset when he called people to repentance, and he said repent. John the Baptist said repent. Peter says repent to the times of refreshment. There's a refreshing from the presence of the Lord when we say, God, I'm going to come clean. I'm not going to make excuses for my sin. I'm not going to justify it. Yeah, I'm sinning, but it's but it's this and that, and the, all the justifications that we can play over and over our mind, but we're going to confess it, we're going to grieve over it, we're going to make it right. And then there's refreshing, there's joy, there's a burden that's lifted. Let's go to the next slide, look at these next two passages. 
Paul said this, for the kind of soul God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. It's solid, that the God is solid, the God is mourning. There's no regret for that kind of soul, but really solid is lost repentance and hope for spiritual death. Repent, and what Paul is saying is the distinction. There is a worldly soul that does not lead to fatigue. It's, I'm sorry I got caught, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but deep down, I'm not really that sorry, and I like my sin, and I'm going to call this out, and I'm going to be the owner of my own life. There's a godly sorrow. This is one of them making excuses for it. I, Jesus is the one that calls sin sin. I'm going to agree with him. I'm going to have time to refresh him. And that is what leads us to life. Don't hide it any longer. Don't take the secret sin with you the rest of your life. Because ultimately, what leads us to life is Paul is saying it's right really getting back in the right relationship with God. When you're walking around with sin, your, your, your relationship with God is effective. But it's saying, I want to be in the right relationship. When you're in the right relationship with God, man, there's life in that. No excuses for justification. And John says this, but if we confess our sins, and we faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us, there's a refreshing, there's a cleansing, there's an idea of freedom. Mourn your sin to understand God's happiness that he has for you, his blessedness in you. And number five, last one. Mourn the temporary for the happiness of eternity. Mourn the temporary. And I believe this is a revelation of one of the greatest revelations for the kingdom of God right here is to understand that no matter how bad things get, it's only temporary. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble but take heart. That's what he, and he says that phrase, take heart. Remember to the disciples, take heart. I'm leaving, I'm going away, take heart. They were going to need those words when Peter was being crucified upside down. When one of them was being, you know, tortured to death and with fears, and they're going to say, Jesus said, take heart because it's temporary. I'm getting ready to see him. I'm getting ready to be with him. That's how people comfort themselves in third world countries that are being persecuted for, you know, when, when members of ISIS and take people in there killing them in the name of Christ. You know what they're saying? There's, there's one group that they, 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 they just begin to work to God. Because they said it's all temporary. It's all temporary. There's a story, um, actually Barry actually told me first about it, but there was a, a group of people that were busted for um, dealing drugs. Where was that at, Barry? Was it country? Thailand or something? Or? And, uh, the, 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 the payment for that crime is death. And these guys sat on death row for like 10 years. Well, through the time they had all given their lives to Christ and they had become you know, devoted to Jesus. And so there was a group of people that were trying to get them exonerated, but um, I think it was about a year ago that they were executed by um, a firing squad. And I just read about this the other day that they sang Amazing Grace together, and then they sang 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman as they were being shot. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years in the forevermore as they were being shot. No matter how bad it gets, it's all temporary and crawling. Believing in our hearts that God's in His heart, He's working, His promises are true, eternity is real. 
We weren't just created for this life and this world. We are eternal beings that have a temporary residence here. So sometimes we have to mourn the temporary and say, God, it hurts, the temporary stuff hurts, but there is a happiness, a true blessing in eternity. Paul says, for our present trouble. See that? Paul says there's present trouble. He doesn't say, if you belong to Jesus, you'll have no more troubles. Everybody gets a pony and cupcakes for the rest of your life. I don't know why I said that, but uh, but he went through some stuff. Our present troubles are small; they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. It's real. That's what he's saying. So we don't think our we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Don't fix your eyes. Don't get so caught up with yes, there's a reality to it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't diminish it. There's a reality to it, but we don't look at it whether we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen or the things we see now will soon be gone. All this is going to be gone, because, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We can enjoy temporary things and God gives them to us, and I'm not saying don't. Have your cupcakes and your phones. But we aren't to live for them and make them our idol. And they were not to live for them in comfort. Live for eternity. Because it's coming for all of us. Mourn it now so that you don't have the regret when you stand before them later. And that's why. Why could John and Peter rejoice after being beaten? Remember in Acts where it said that they were flogged because they were preaching? And they, I'm just always stupefied over this story when I read it. They're beaten. Guys, we're not talking about that they were, you know, and you guys stop doing that, okay? They were beaten. Scourged. And it says they come out of that and they're rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus, that they were worthy. It says they were rejoicing. Blessed. Happy. I mean... The, the, I mean, they, they caught the revelation. They understood the paradox of Jesus. They said, thank you, Jesus, that we were worthy to be persecuted to you. And they said they were rejoicing after being beaten. And they're hurting. I mean, they're physically hurting. The pain is real. And they are rejoicing because they got it. And I'm like, God, I, I don't think I understand it like that, but I want to. I want to love you like that. I want to understand it's temporary. And that's what they had. They said, no matter how bad it gets, it's temporary. And here's Peter and John. One would be crucified upside down. The other one would be boiled in oil and then sent off to a prison island to spend his days. And they both put their eyes on Jesus and it's temporary. How do we have that joy? How do we have It's a revelation. It's walking with Jesus. It's giving him thanks every day. Things aren't always good, but we live in a temporary world, and it's going to get better. It's all going to be good. Amen? Will you stand with me? Um, I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment, but um, if, if you want prayer for anything, and you want to be, just want to I'm going to have a, whoever of our leaders is available to kind of come down and maybe help me pray with a few people. Um, David on that CD that's in there, like track four, I think it's going to get soft. We don't want to get too groovy while we're praying here. So, um, 
But if you'd like prayer, if anything resonated with you, if anything that the Lord is speaking to your heart um, about any of this, and you just want us to agree, maybe you're in a season, it's a season of hard, maybe you're mourning, maybe, maybe you need to mourn your sin, and you need to return, and you need to get things right with God, and we would consider it a joy to pray with you. If you're in a season right now where it's just um, very difficult, very hard, you want to just pray, again, God's blessing, God's goodness, and that you would see Him in this time. We're also going to, we, we, we believe that God touches, I don't want to diminish the fact that God does supernaturally intervene and He does miracles, that He can touch us and heal and minister. But sometimes He works in very mysterious ways and sometimes we get Him instead and He walks with us through it. And I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, and you can come up and, and whoever of our leaders uh, would like to come up and pray, we're going to do that. But let me pray, and then the rest of you can be dismissed and be blessed as you go today. God, we love you. Lord, we honor you. And we, we just Lord, want to fix our eyes and fix our heart on you and the reality of who you are. I pray, Lord, for these revelations. God, I can throw this stuff out there, but... Lord, even as I'm preparing, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by it, thinking, how do I do that? How do we walk that out? And, and, and Jesus, ultimately, is that we need you. We desperately need you. I pray, God, that we would all fix our eyes, our hearts, our gaze on you every day, getting up, realizing our need of you, being in right relationship with you. Lord, I pray, God, for those who have experienced loss, who may be experienced pain, who may experience some sort of suffering, or that you have brought me into the Lord, I pray that we would have a funeral for our happiness and our dreams, Lord God, in a temporary sense, and that we would live for your death, that we would live for your heart, that we would fit for our hearts toward you in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. And-